For the past 20 years, you've enjoyed the refreshing tropical lime flavor of Mountain Dew Baja Blast. So in celebration of this milestone, we're bringing Baja Blast in stores nationwide. And for a limited time with every purchase of Baja Blast, you can collect coins for a chance to get Baja gear or a Taco Bell deal. 2024 is the year of Baja Blast. In stores now, no purchase necessary. Open to U.S. residents 18 plus. Subject to official rules at BajaBlast.com and 615-24. Void where prohibited. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle, from the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback. There's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer. And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places. Are you listening? Damn. Uh. Yeah. And welcome into another episode of the Damn Podcast here on the 24-7 Sports Podcast Network and powered by BeaverBlitz.com. I'm your host, Carter Baines, joined as always by BeaverBlitz.com publisher Angie Machado here on Monday, February 27th. That's right, we are back to our Monday schedule after the uh, the opening weekend of baseball threw us off just a little bit last week. Uh, but we're here on a Monday to recap the weekend that was in Corvallis, but most of all, Angie, you and I are previewing spring football today because it is one week away. Uh, as, as far as most people are probably listening to this, at least on the podcast side on Tuesday, uh, we're here on Monday. It opens on Tuesday, March 7th. So we're going to preview it today, go in depth there for most of the show. We do want to spend a little bit time on baseball and basketball because it was a very busy weekend in Corvallis, but the bulk of this episode is going to talk about all the things what we are watching on the practice fields this spring as Oregon State gears up for its 15 practice slate. Angie, welcome in. Uh, hope you are doing well on this Monday. It's uh, it's gloomy outside, but most of the snow has passed, so we are, we're back to work. We are totally... Yeah locked in locked in I, I yeah it must be spring camp because uh the a major hailstorm just went through um uh, my house here and i'm just got to gear up to like bundle up because it's i'm used to being cold and yucky for spring camp but um thinking about all those kids in oregon who start spring sports today um both of my boys i have a baseball tryout and a golf tryout and like i said it is nasty i feel bad for those kids but let's go we got a busy show we don't need to talk about snow and kiddos no no as as much as we could talk about the absolute blizzard that occurred on uh what wednesday night and then the amount of snow and hail i drove through to get to corvallis yesterday for the series finale at at goss 
uh, we have more important things to talk about. So we are going to preview spring camp today as opposed to next week as uh, I'm going to try not to brag about this, but I will not be available. Yeah, let's, let's hear week. where you're going, Carter. Let's, let's just hear. Uh, I will be out of, out of, out of the state. I'll put it that way. Um, no, going to Paris this weekend, uh, going to be there for a week. So Angie will have all of the spring camp coverage for week one, and then we'll kind of trade off the rest of the way. But um, yeah, make sure you're you're following Angie closely next week because she'll have the exclusive coverage for Beaver Blitz. Uh, but let's start with baseball. And uh, again, we're going to try to kind of cruise through this, but there is a lot to talk about because it was frankly just a high scoring weekend at at goss uh the home opener oregon state sweeps coppin state in three games by scores of 11 to 1 16 nothing and 19 to 5 uh that's a combined score of 45 to 6 across three games so i mean just sheer and, and utter dominance there obviously the offense getting the job done with three double digit scores on the weekend the the beavers have now won six straight since their opening day loss they stand at six and one with a run differential on the season of 81 to 26. So uh, yeah, pretty much since, since that first loss to, or the, since the first game, the loss to New Mexico and the first win eight, uh, seven against Minnesota, it's, it's pretty much been all Oregon state since then. Yeah. And I mean, talk about just an explosion of offense. Fun to see. A couple of guys getting recognized for, for their play this weekend. Of course, when, you dominate a, a team like Oregon State did. You're you're bound to produce some uh, some pretty impressive individual numbers. It was Trent Sellers with his 12 strikeouts and Gavin Turley with his two home runs, uh, earning the Pac-12 pitcher and Pac-12 player of the week. So Oregon State sweeps the conference awards. That was announced earlier this afternoon. Uh, two standout performances from two guys that we expected to be. Uh, well, not necessarily sellers. We, we weren't really talking about sellers until after week one, but after opening weekend, uh, it was very apparent that these two guys were going to be some of the stars on this team. It did not take them very long to earn recognition. Um, Angie, I'm not sure how much baseball you were able to watch on that Oregon State live stream, but did you catch either of uh, sellers outing or or Turley's home runs? No, but I talked. I was I had family issues going on, but um, so I didn't. But I was following your your thread in the lodge and um, I've spoken to a couple of people, people very close to the program and Carter, I haven't talked to you, but I've just heard so many things about Gavin Turley, just that he is a star in the making. Um, so I'm excited to kind of watch his progress, you know, as we, as we go forward, but you know, those, those close to the, the Goss field house are uh, speaking his praises. Yeah. The, one of the home runs for Turley and it was actually the, the second one, but he had two on the weekend. The first came in his first, Goss Stadium career at bat a weekend after he had a home run in his first career at bat overall but the second one 435 feet and 110 miles per hour off the bat just absolutely crushed and one of the hardest hit home runs I think I've seen at Goss that thing bounced really at the edge of the left field parking lot and probably about a quarter of the way up those super tall trees in the outfield uh, I was talking to Mike Parker after um, uh, later on in the game, and he said he was actually in the, the middle of parking his car out there and was almost hit by Gavin Turley's home run. <laughs> <laughs> so he, he, uh, he he came in, came into the press box, of course, covering basketball this weekend, so not doing the play-by-play, and um, was very quick to tell me how hard that, that ball was hit. 
Um, shout out to the damn analytics squad, by the way. We've we've yeah. highlighted them on the show before uh, for providing these numbers, uh, pitching and hitting numbers available on their Twitter account. If if you haven't checked that out, I believe they're at DAS Beavers. Um, definitely make sure you're following them throughout the season for for some of those some of those numbers. A couple of the other standouts from the weekend: Micah McDowell uh, shining with a five hit day on Saturday. That's obviously a, a career best for him. Um, so far, staying in the lineup, uh, he's healthy again and, and living up to some of the potential that he brought with him uh, when he came into Oregon State from Nova Scotia three years ago in that 2020 season. Uh, another guy, Mikey Kane, just an absolutely incredible weekend. Uh, this is a guy who transferred in as a sophomore after spending a year uh, at junior college and filled in for Kyle Dernetti at shortstop and, and didn't miss a beat after starting uh, at third base in the, the first few games of the season, his defense was off the charts, but offensively too. Now, I mean, there's, it's hard to find somebody more consistent than Mikey Kane to open the season. He has a hit in all seven games to open his Oregon state career. He had a home run and a triple in the series finale uh, and has been one of the more impressive players on this team. Again, as a newcomer, um, that's pretty awesome to see right away. Absolutely. Yeah. That's especially, you know, Dernetti's been so solid on that left side of the field at shortstop. So to see him be able to make the move over to short fill in and really, like you said, not miss a beat. It was huge, huge for Oregon state um, as they have depth. What do we know Another where Dernetti too. has been? Yeah. So I was going to say um, Kyle Dernetti dealing from what I've heard with a, with an illness, okay. uh, he played on, on Friday and okay. wasn't able to go the rest of the weekend. I've heard that there's a bug uh, kind of going through the team. And unfortunately, it, it held him out. But again, gave an opportunity to Mike Kane, and, and he took it and, and shined. Uh, another guy I, I want to highlight here who made his Oregon State debut this weekend after not playing on opening weekend is, is Jacob Craig at first base, who uh, he had 13 plate appearances on the weekend. And, and these numbers are, are pretty wild. So in 13 plate appearances, four hits, six walks, that's three in uh, his two starts, that's only one strikeout eight RBI and four runs scored. Craig had more RBI than at bats in his first weekend. That is nuts. That is really tough to do. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Uh, for a freshman to, to come in and again, to play that well early on, it, it, you know, making your debut again, the level of competition, you, you can talk all you want about that. Obviously drawing the walks that is more, is, it's at least largely representative of, of the pitching that you're facing, but uh, to capitalize on on your first appearance at Oregon State like that, um, that's that's one of the best weekends from a true freshman I've ever seen. Yeah, talk about confidence builder. No kidding. Uh, you mentioned Dernetti's absence. I want to highlight a couple other guys that are still out. So Ruben Cedillo uh, did not play at all this weekend. He started uh, in center field for Oregon State last weekend. He was unavailable this week. Uh, Mitch Canham said that he uh, kind of tr- tweaked his wrist a little bit. Don't expect it to be a long-term absence. He could be back next weekend. Uh, we'll have to wait and see there, but sounds relatively minor for Ruben Cedillo. And then Ben Ferrer, who uh, we reported out with Mono, uh, Mitch Canham said, still no firm timeline on him. He's feeling a little bit better, but uh, it's one of those things that you really don't want to rush. So uh, making progress, but still going to be a little bit of time before we see Ben Ferrer. Uh, of course, like I said, no firm timeline, but if I had to guess, you're probably looking at the middle of the season for that as, as far yeah. as just what the precedent has been with, with guys who have had mono in the past. 
Yeah, because they have to not only get healthy, but then work their way back to game shape. Especially as a pitcher, too. It's, yeah, yeah. It takes a little while. Uh, okay, let's close with a, a rankings update for baseball because it is Monday and, and rankings do update on Mondays. Uh, I, I, I'm curious what is... I, I'm not going to blame D1 Baseball for, for not ranking Oregon State, but it has been the one publication that so far in the preseason after week one and after week two has has continued to be the outlier, not ranking Oregon State in its top 25. The Beavers this week check in at number 18 at Collegiate Baseball, 19 at Baseball America, 24 in the coaches poll, and 26 in the uh, College Baseball Writers Association top 30. So um, that's two top 20s, a top 25, and a top 30, and then unranked at D1 Baseball. Which is still really feels fun. about right. Still yeah. feels about right, right before. The, oh, yeah. You know, yeah. D1 Baseball. We haven't gotten the conference awesome. play. They haven't proven yeah. anything, but. Yeah. But to not be ranked at all by D1 Baseball, who usually is is pretty bullish on the Beavs. So um, interesting to see that. Yeah. In the past, we've seen D1 uh, be on the, the higher side of the rankings yeah. for Oregon State. I, I do think they probably still have some concerns about the pitching. Yeah. Um, that's, I, I feel like that's Completely probably valid. warranted. Yeah. yeah. Um, Oregon State's. Uh, rotation of course kind of, kind of struggling an opening weekend yeah. and then uh jaron hunter on sunday gave up five runs to coppin state so still a few questions there i think trent sellers um answered a few questions maybe about his efficiency this week going a little bit deeper with those 12 strikeouts um but yeah obviously still some questions there on the pitching staff um again oregon state almost a consensus top 25 yeah. team uh quick basketball notes before we get into our football preview again we want to save about uh, probably 75% of this episode for football. Um, I was down in Corvallis for the men's basketball game against Oregon on Saturday. The women's basketball team also closed out uh, its its regular season on Saturday. It was a busy day. You had two basketball games at Gill, a baseball game at Goss, and then a softball game. Oh, are they down in Southern They're California? down in SoCal, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but women's basketball beats number 14 Arizona on senior day. Uh, just like uh, I think it was long overdue for Oregon State to win one of these games. I mean, you can only lose so many one, two, three possession games before you finally win one, uh, and they broke through there. That's that's a a pretty nice win for a, a program that definitely took a, a step. And back it was a rough week. weekend for the Wildcats. I know we're we're a Beaver show, but yeah, they lost women's and men's basketball and baseball. So it was a women's team was swept also because yeah. they, they lost to Oregon as well. But yeah, yeah that buzzer beater uh, by Devin Cambridge at ASU was, was something else. Yeah. And then on the men's side, yeah, they, they lose to Oregon. It's, it's a last second jumper by Rivaldo Soares, uh, a game that was really back and forth the whole way. Oregon did kind of pull away and, and led by double digits there in the second half. But uh, for the second time in as many meetings this year, Oregon state, um, with a strong second half to to, uh, to to close the margin and eventually take the lead, uh, that's two comebacks and two games of uh, after trailing by double digits for Oregon State against Oregon. Uh, but they come up short. They held a a lead with I want to say about a minute left, and then ended up losing it uh, again on that last second jumper by Soares. My takeaway from that game, though, Angie, was the atmosphere at Gale. Obviously, I know this is a down year, this is the second down year in a row. For Oregon State, there's a lot of apathy in the fan base, but um, somebody forgot to tell the Oregon State students that that's the case because they set an attendance record 
at, at least Oregon State claims it was on on Saturday, close to 3,000 students in attendance. And uh, I, I told you before the show, I, I said that was the best atmosphere at an Oregon State basketball game since before COVID. I'll stand by that. That's awesome. I heard the same thing. I, th- I spoke with Mike Parker yesterday and he said the same thing. Just he said it was the best. At- I mean, he said best atmosphere all year at Gill. So um, just too bad they couldn't eke out a win. But if they can somehow hold this team together, this young roster, you know, this, I think this is kind of Wayne Tingle's last, last shot here. I mean, keep these guys together, see what they can do 23, 24 and uh, you know, show some improvement. Completely agree. All right, let's take a quick break. And we'll come back with our spring camp preview in just a minute. But we want to let everybody know uh, that we do still have our 30% off deal at Beaver Blitz. Again, this applies only to new members. Uh, This is your first annual subscription. You can take 30% off. That comes out to $6.27 per month. Uh, Again, this is we've been promoting this for about a month. But I promise you, this does not last forever. Um, So definitely want to make sure that you take advantage of that. Well, you can, again, one more time, 30% off your first year uh, with an annual subscription to beaverblitz.com. It's the only way you're going to be able to read our spring camp practice reports, JP's weekly walk-off throughout baseball season, and get engaged in the lodge and joining in the discussion there. So make sure you take advantage of that while it lasts, because again, it will not last forever. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash decide. That's linkedin.com slash decide. Terms and conditions apply. Let Tend Dental make your dream smile a reality. We offer a variety of top-rated treatments, including Invisalign aligners. And for a limited time, TEND is offering $750 off orthodontic treatments. Offer valid through January 31st, so don't wait. Visit hellotend.com slash sale. That's hellotend.com slash sale. And book your free consult today. Okay, the spring camp preview, Angie. Are you ready for this? I am ready because... I don't know about you, Carter. I, this is the most, you know, I'm not a huge fan of spring camp, not my favorite time of year. Um, but this year it just feels different. There's a buzz and it's exciting. And and I'm so excited to get to Corvallis next Tuesday. It does have a different feel to it. I mean, we had people asking us when the spring game is before yeah. the season was even over. Like that is the level of anticipation that this off season is coming with. Um, I I'm, I don't even want to know what September is going to be like as far as fan base engagement. Like that is going to be crazy. Uh, but just the fact that everybody is so tuned in right now, even in the month of February, going into obviously March, bringing the start of, of, of spring camp. I have not seen that in my now, what, five spring camps that I've covered. Um, obviously, that it makes sense. You're coming off your first 10-win campaign in, what, 15, 16, 17 years. Um but yeah, it's it's impressive to see the fan base so engaged. And um, yeah, I, we have a lot. I know that we're watching um, and I, I know that there are so many questions that we have heard and will continue to hear things that people want us to keep our eyes on. We're going to try to serve you as best as we can. 
uh, throughout the spring. We get 15 opportunities to do so in total. I doubt that we will have access to all of them. No. Uh, oftentimes they will close down uh, a Saturday or two here and there uh, to, to, to run some closed scrimmages. But we will probably get somewhere between uh, 10 to 13 opportunities, I would imagine. Angie, uh, just before we before we even dive into the schedule, our thoughts, our you know, the, the overviews, you just have any like key things that you want to highlight that you're watching before we really jump into this. Well, and I, I think this is going to be what we jump into because I think me, like you, Carter, all eyes are going to be on the quarterbacks this spring. This is this is going to be um, not only do you have DJ on campus. You have Aiden Childs on campus, um, so that is, and then and then Ben, ben Goldbranson to see if he's taken a step. This is going to be the the main storyline, I think, heading into fall camp or spring camp. Sorry, I keep saying fall camp. Um, but it's then okay, also, Andrew, we know you like fall camp. I know I love fall camp. It is my favorite time of year. So um, spring camp, I though I mean obviously that is one A, but one B is going to be for me wide receivers. We have some new wide receiver faces. And, you know, I think if Oregon State had it's the biggest Achilles heel this past season, it was quarterback wide receiver play. So with those additions that are here in the spring, that is, I think, front and center for me. And I know a lot of our fan base as well. We'll dive more into that in just a minute. But we want to start with uh, some of the more uh, just the logistics of, of camp. If you're not familiar or you haven't heard what the schedule is, uh, this spring, it's very similar to what Oregon State has done now the last two years, I believe. I think it was three years ago that they went later in the spring, but um, this is now, I, I, again, I think the third year that they've started in the first week of March, first full week of March. So day one, like I said earlier, Tuesday, March 7th, they'll go Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday for two weeks, and then they will take a two-week break for finals and then uh, spring break, come back on Thursday, April 6th, They'll return to that Thursday, Saturday, or Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday routine. With the exception of the final week, there are four practices in the final week of camp. They will go Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, and then Saturday, April 22nd is the spring game. So uh, mark your calendars. April 22nd, we presume that will be the only opportunity for the public uh, to come watch. That has been the case ever since Jonathan Smith took over. There is one uh, public public practice and that is the spring game again that's coming on april 22nd um angie let's just offer some of our gen kind of general thoughts on spring camp um weather wise you're probably going to see a, a mix of cold and wet and sunny and mild it seems like every year we have a couple of practices where we are bundled up with our umbrellas and then a couple where we're borderline t-shirts and shorts because that's what happens in oregon in the spring um, I think you'll see Oregon State use the indoor facility a little bit, but they do try to keep most, if not all of it, outside. Uh, maybe a practice or two in Reeser before the spring game as well. Um, yeah, I, I don't. Packing for spring camp is always a. <laughs> yeah. It's always an adventure. But. It's an adventure, and trying to stay dry, warm. Yeah, there's been a few spring camps that I seriously think I froze to death. It was horrible, and then there's been other times where. I, I mean, years ago, I did a story on Wyatt, the popsicle kid that would bring popsicles down. So we've had spring camps where, like Carter said, days where it's 70 degrees and the guys are eating popsicles and other days that it feels like it might snow and we're bundled up. So that I think that is the biggest 
kind of the downfall of spring camp in Oregon is just, and, and going as early as, as they are in, in March is the fact that the weather can be so, and, and it seems like kind of a late winter right now with the snow we just had. So mm-hmm. hopefully it, it doesn't look good right now looking at the 10 day trend. So I think the big puffy coats coming with me down to Corvallis next Tuesday, but um, it'll be cold for a while. I do think we'll be outside a lot. The first couple of days are going to be the, the acclimation period. So they won't be going full pads. It'll be more just kind of conditioning type stuff. Um, and then they'll go full pads. So very similar in that regard to fall camp. Yeah, I was going to say actually the last probably, I, I would say the last three years of the Smith era, we have seen um, even in the acclimation period, they've they've gotten quite a bit done. Yeah. The first two years that I remember covering spring camp, you know, there's still so many new guys. There were, you know, even walk-ons that were kind of auditioning for roster spots. You had new coming transfers who, you know, not as many early enrollees guys were just getting there right then. Like there was a while there where the first few days of camp were, I, I don't want to say unwashable, but like it was like, it was dry and we don't really see a whole lot of that anymore. It feels like now that You've got the roster and staff continuity. There's very little learning. There's very little conditioning because they do that in January and February. Now they kind of just dive right in. So like you said, until pads come on, we're not going to have a ton of like live scrimmage opportunities to report on. But um, those first few days, they will do enough that we will have full practice reports. And especially when it comes to the newcomers, I mean, that's really what we're watching yeah. those first couple of days just and, to see what those guys look like. And the receivers and the quarterbacks, they'll be going. I mean, they'll be mm-hmm. running routes. It might be more skelly drill, but um, it will be, they'll be going. And um, I mean, we've been watching some of the guys have been putting stuff online of their, you know, off season workout sessions. And so it, it's been fun to see some of those guys. Um, workout. Yeah. Martinez clocking 21 miles an hour at 230 pounds. He's gained 15 pounds. He's going to be unstoppable, Carter. He's going to be one of those, like, do you remember probably two camps ago when we got our first look at Luke Musgrave and the good weight that he put on in two months after, well, two, probably three months after that season ended was like, it was like two different players. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty crazy. Um, he went that's from one like of, a boy to a man, like in three yeah. months. That's one of the fun things that we like to, to watch during camp. A couple of things that that personally I like to get out of the spring. First look at new guys. Like I said, you know, you, you do get a decent amount of transfers. And nowadays, so many freshmen enrolling early. Um, it's really, it's exciting to see what they look like um, right away. But also identifying potential breakouts. I mean, I'll remind you, last spring, this is when we identified Damian Martinez as yeah. potentially a star in the fall. Um, BJ Baylor, I Jamar think I Jefferson. said last spring that he might be the best freshman since Quiz Rogers. Yeah. And, and that was in like March. And it was March, yes. Um, guys, like again, recently the running backs, BJ Baylor, yeah. Jamar Jefferson, we've identified them in the spring. Um, in the defensive backfield, Rajon Wright last spring you you could tell that he took a huge step forward um like it it is very it, it's very possible that we will identify a couple of guys in the spring that really take the next step in the fall um yeah. like you we do get that opportunity so it is kind of fun to to kind of place a bet on on who we think um will continue to have a pretty good off season and then lastly for me i i, I think spring camp you know Oftentimes you're not dealing with the position battles. You're not going through scrimmage left and right. Um, So for us, it kind of gives us an opportunity to focus on just some fun storylines, interview players and coaches and provide background on them and, and, and highlight them and and feature them. 
um, more than some of the X's and O's like we do in fall camp. Um, it's, it's one of those unique opportunities where we get to watch them for two months and then highlight their stories rather than, okay, this is what the team's doing to get ready for the season. Yeah, absolutely. It's all those interviews we get, it, it's priceless. And then you do, you get to know you're there so much. You do kind of get to pick up on some of the guys. Some of them are love the media. I mean, not, I wouldn't say love us, but they will, they tolerate, they tolerate us and, <laughs> and they tease us or, you know, they, then there's the others that like to run the other way from us. But um, I think, I think it's all good. I mean, and the coaches, they get to see the coaches and um, tell their stories too. Our coverage plan this spring, I, I assume, I mean, we haven't, we haven't conferenced at all, but um, probably will be pretty similar to the past. Our, our daily practice reports in the lodge again, that will be uh, a VIP feature, uh, but then interview videos from after practice. Uh, again, those features that we were just talking about, we are going to do weekly recaps on the podcast side. Um, so that's something that of course, if you're listening now, I'm sure uh, you'll probably be tuning in throughout the spring. We will spend most of our time talking football. We'll do some baseball as, as well as the season rolls on, but um, recapping what we saw on the practice field the week before, We'll share a little bit of practice film on YouTube uh, with kind of our, like we did in the fall, our, our takeaways and, and use some B-roll in there. Um, really, we don't get many opportunities to shoot. It's it's really just warm-ups and stretching, um, but we do like to, to share a little bit of that because obviously we know that opportunities to see them practice are so slim uh, for the public. So we'll do what we can there. And then, like I said, Angie will have all of week one and then I'll kind of step in and um, you know, we'll, we'll share the, the load the rest of the way. All right. You want to let, let's deep dive into this we roster. We've dive. got a half hour left, so let's just do yeah, it. Yeah, let's um, do it. Let's start with the offense and, okay. and Angie, you mentioned the quarterback situation already. And I think obviously it's, it's always the most talked about position group, even when there's like no quarterback controversy, you know, who the guy is like, even then it is still the position that gets the most press in the offseason for good reason. Yeah. Uh, but particularly this year at Oregon state, I mean, this is probably, I, I, I don't know how much of a competition it is, but this is probably like the most competition per se yeah. in, in the room that we will have ever seen. Yeah. And, and I, you know, I don't, I don't, I mean, I've not talked to the coaches, but I, I don't think this is a huge competition. Yeah. DJ was brought in to start. That's it. I mean, he has already shown, I think, the film that he's head and shoulders above what Oregon State had on the roster in, in past years. Aiden Childs is going to be kind of that wild card, but I think ideally you want him to try to redshirt or maybe get some backup minutes just because he is raw, young. Um, I mean, DJ is a, I mean, what is he, 240, 250? And then somebody's just posted that he ran at 20 miles. He was running 20 miles an hour. That's that's a load to take down. And, and he already has the speed of the game. I, I, I just think this is a, he can make the throws. He's he knows the speed of the game. Um, I don't yeah, know here, necessarily. Here's the comment uh, yeah. again. I apparently this is coming from John Dunmore's uh, social media. Um, I, I I haven't seen this, but this is yeah. dropped in the YouTube chat that that DJ ran at 20 miles per hour and Aiden Charles was at 19 um, this this winter. Obviously, they're running through their conditioning program yeah. so they're they're getting some of these these numbers I mean, from that so so carter do you think i mean honestly do you think this is a competition or do you think no. it's no yeah no i mean i i would be very quick to say no to that just because uh, 
go look at some of the stats. Like if you go look at DJ's stats at Clemson, like obviously it it underperforms what Clemson had hoped. But I, I think somebody mentioned this in the lodge. Like if if you extrapolated those numbers to Oregon State's record books, he'd be one of the greatest Oregon State quarterbacks of all time. He'd be top six. Yeah. So like even <laughs> I mean, even though even though yeah. he was like quote unquote disappointing at Clemson, he would right away be an all time great at Oregon State and like with all due respect to to Ben Goldbranson and with as much as we've hyped up Aiden Childs, like I just don't think they can compete with that. Yeah. And I, and I think the bottom line is I think DJ's here for, to kind of revamp his, his numbers and, and kind of, you know, the offense fits him better. I, you know, we, we've talked a little bit about Clemson and we, about their offense and maybe it didn't highlight his skill set. Oregon state fits him perfectly the offense that Oregon State runs. So yeah, this is this is a situation I I think ideally this is a one and done for DJ. He's coming in, he's going to win a bunch of games and then head to the NFL and and make way for for Aiden Childs. We've got more DJ conversation coming up, uh, but I do want to highlight some of the other position groups as we just take kind of a general overview of the roster right now. Uh so let's move to running back which I think might be the most sure thing on this roster this year. I I, I would say offensive line might con- compete for that. Uh, but as far as returning production goes, I mean, Oregon state's not oh, losing anyone yeah, at running yeah. back. And that's saying a lot considering, you know, you're returning one of the best running back rooms in the pac 12, if, if not the country, potentially mm-hmm. Damian Martinez coming back as a sophomore. We've got another year of Deshaun Fenwick, uh, Trey Lowe, Jim Griffin, Isaiah Newell broke out at the end of the season. Uh, and then a whole slew of of walk-ons who have gotten some playing time and always look pretty good in, in camp because they, they run them through a lot. Um, I mean, just the amount of production that comes back from a group that has been so good for so long. Like, I, I just don't even know if there are any storylines there because we know it's going to be good. Yeah, I think the biggest storyline is whether Trey Lowe will be healthy. I mean, that's kind of the, the thing I'm watching there. Um, but yeah, Jam Griffin, Deshaun Fenwick, Damian Martinez. I mean, there's just, it's so much talent there. Um, so many guys. I mean, I, I I think you have to say that Damian Martinez has earned the number one starting spot, but with those other guys there, there's so many one, two, three punch there. So um, huge. And you know what? The other area I'm really anxious to see with Damian Martinez is how his receiving game has improved, yeah. you know, um, just to see him out of the backfield, I think would be an, just a huge addition to his game. Some of these guys actually kind of develop in pass pro too, as they get yes, stronger and their their exactly. offseason conditioning. So, um, oftentimes we will ask about, you know, how's how's your pass pro coming, and you know, is is that an area that you're developing in? And oftentimes they say yes in spring because, um, you know, you're you're not out there running through through organized practice. So the only things you can work on are are some of the more physical elements. And as you get stronger and as you get quicker, pass protection and, and blocking gets better there too. So, And as they learn the playbook, you know, it's first they, mm-hmm. they're starting just trying to learn what their, their blocking assignments or their, um, you know, their running assignments. But uh, yeah, I, that's, I think we're, we're going to see a huge jump and it's just going to make him a complete overall better back. Uh, I mentioned the offensive line as being like pretty equally a sure thing. Um, Oregon State returning most of its production there, and 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 bolstering it even with with some transfers, with some newcomers. Uh, of course, Oregon State always has a guy or two that pops in the middle of his career after a couple of years of development under Jim Mahalachek. But uh, it, it feels like 
Angie, this might be the offensive line with the fewest questions around it. Um, I, I will go back to 2021 being one of those years where we knew it was going to be pretty good. But I think this year, it's it's safe to say this has the potential to be one of Oregon State's best offensive lines ever, and, and certainly one of the best in, in recent history. And that's, again, saying a lot because the Beavers have been so good up front uh, since Jim Mahalachuk took over. But with the amount of guys that you're bringing back, uh, with the way that you're uh, you know, filling any potential holes that you have with players like Grant Stark and, and Hanele Bloomfield, who stepped in last year, like, I mean, that starting lineup is going to be as good as it's ever been. And I, I think you feel confident about one or two or, or three or maybe even four guys coming off the bench and providing you a lift if you should need it. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, just the, the return of Joshua Gray is huge um, just because he has that veteran. I mean, this will be three year starter now. Or was he? Is this four? So it, it's so hard to keep track. I know because I mean he was, he was like a gray shirt and then, freshman at one point. Yeah. So anyway, I mean, but just that veteran leadership. Another guy I want to highlight is Tanner Miller. Um, yeah. He came in so many times and it was such a a force. Tali Fuaga, another just huge addition. But Grant Stark's going to be an interesting one to see how he fits in and because I because I do think he can help make that line better. But you're right, it's that running game and the offensive line. I think are just so the, the sky's the limit for that group. Correct me if I'm wrong, Angie, but I believe we heard that that Marco Brewer will still be unavailable for camp. Is, is that yes, correct? Yes, that's what I've heard. Yeah. Yeah, so it's still rehabbing the injury that ended his 2022 season. Um, but assuming he's healthy for the fall, I mean, it, it is, it's absurd how many starting caliber players Oregon State's going to have on the line. I mean, Grant Stark came in probably to start but he's competing with Hanelli Bloomfield and Marco Brewer at the guard spots, uh, we assume. And those are two guys who were like some of the best blockers in the conference a year ago. So like, I, again, I just, I think you go back to the, the way Oregon state has not only developed its starters on the offensive line, but that it has built so much depth that you have a guy like Tanner Mill, Tanner Miller last year that comes in as a walk on and is immediately contributing. Yeah. yeah. Um, it, it's impressive stuff. And, and the thing I love about what coach Mahalachek is doing is that he has all those guys. Yeah. They might, you know, kind of be penciled in at guard, but he teaches them all the positions because if he needs to shuffle guys around, he wants them to be ready to, whether they need to move to tackle or they need to move to the other side. I mean, he's, he's got them ready. And um, that's a, another huge benefit, especially for linemen, just because you do get injuries and you need to be able to have next man up. And you've seen that even with some yeah. of the best players on the line in the last two years. Jake yeah. Levengood moved from guard to center, immediately became one of the best centers yeah. in the Pac-12. Brandon Kipper moved from tackle to guard. Um, I mean, it's impressive, the, the versatility yeah. of these guys. We're going to have no idea what that lineup yeah. is going to look like because so many guys are going to get so much time at every single position this spring. And I could see Mahalachek tinkering, you know, I mean, maybe yeah. he'll, he'll see what he, he'll see something from Stark that he likes him better at tackle or, you know, I mean, I can see, I can see him kind of um, creating as he goes. Completely. Uh, okay. Let's move to tight end where we will not see Jack Velling this spring. Uh, he will be held out with an injury that should only keep him out for a couple of months. Uh, believe Andrew, you said that he will be good to go for fall. Fall is what I'm hearing. It sounds like a shoulder. He's been spotted on campus with a, a sling, maybe rot. I don't know. I have not confirmed, but you know, sling could be a like a rotator cuff or some kind of shoulder injury. Um, that's what I'm hearing from people seeing him on campus. So um, he will be out just spring, but should be back by fall. 
Again, that's Jack Velling, who by one publication was a freshman All-American last year. So uh, one of the many promising young players on Oregon State's roster really popped when Luke Musgrave went down. Uh, took a couple of weeks, but that second half of the season, he was rock solid at tight end. Um, so in his absence, I think we'll see a lot of Jermaine Terry II, who transferred yeah, in from, yeah. from California over the offseason. Uh, Oregon State effectively trading tight ends. Yeah. Uh, with JT Byrne going down to the Golden Bears and Jermaine Terry coming back. All respects in the world to JT Byrne. I think he's going to be a good player for for Cal, but it does feel like Oregon State probably upgraded at this position. Uh, Jermaine Terry, I think, is going to come in and and take those Jack Velling reps right away. Yeah, um, That's not to take away from any of the other tight ends Oregon State has because there are quite a few uh, in the waiting. Jake Overman, of course, as, as a blocker, and then you've got Bryce Caulfield and and Gabe Milborn, who are always good in camp, and uh, from what I've heard, are are ready to play on Saturdays. They're just yeah. guys ahead of them. Uh, but I think Jermaine Terry is going to be the guy to watch in that room this spring. Absolutely, and I and he's going to be that big body receiver. I think that um, everybody's been kind of waiting for tight end receiver hybrid. Another one that I'm I'm anxious to see because I don't think he's played tight end in a long time. But off season position move. Mm-hmm. Riley Sharp, yep. former linebacker, turned back to tight. He played some tight end in high school. So um, Riley, I love Riley, but he's kind of, I mean, he took a two-year church mission. So he's kind of like the grandpa of the group. But um, it's nice to have some maturity in that room. Not, I'm not saying, wait, that's not bad. I'm not saying that the guys in the room are not mature. But it's nice to have an, a veteran like him to kind of help. And I'm just anxious to see where he's at. I mean, I can see him being a, a blocker, but maybe kind of in that Tegan Quatoriano Maybe, I don't know, Carter. We've had some questions about who fills the hammer, hammer's role. And I can see Riley Sharp being that kind of guy who maybe comes in as a fullback, maybe comes in as a H-back, blocking tight end. I don't know. That's just something I, I'm kind of curious to see. This has been something that I've been saying since the the change came yeah, to light. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it, it's almost a no-brainer because you look at the path that that Jack Coletto took, obviously Riley Sharp never played quarterback, but the linebacker tight end connection. I mean, it, this has the, the, the hammer yeah. role written all over, yeah. right? I mean, a guy who, who probably doesn't project as a, an elite receiving tight end by any stretch of the imagination, is probably going to be a pretty decent blocker because he has played such a physical position. Um, but I, I think, but I mean, a sneaky, has he probably has makings. sneaky hands and yeah. I, and like I think said, it has he, all the makings of of a lead yeah. blocker, an H back, yep. a fullback, a, a direct snap, just plow yep. through the line kind of kind of role for for Riley Sharp. And I mean, to get him to move off of outside linebacker, where he led Oregon State in sacks last year, where he has been a starter throughout his career, to get him to move away from that, like you know that he's he's not necessarily guaranteed a role, but like they have designed something for yeah. him on the yeah. offense. Otherwise, you wouldn't do it. And and just think about how fun it has to be for him you know, just to have some change. And yeah, that's exactly what I've been thinking too, is people keep asking, well, how are you going to replace the hammer? And I, I just think we, don't, we see, but... we don't, you, I mean the hammer, I mean, dude, when, when Jack Coletto refers to himself in the third person or the hammer there, I mean, there's just no replacing Jack Coletto, but I'm excited because I think Riley Sharp is going to be that guy. Uh, let's talk about wide receiver then as we close out the offense, because um you know, we've, we've talked about these positions as, as being pretty good and, and kind of a known commodity, but I think the wide receiver group is probably the biggest question mark on offense now. Um, I guess quarterback is still a question mark just because we don't know 
really what they're going to get out of it. But I, I feel like we're pretty confident that Oregon State will take a step forward there. Are we confident that Oregon State will look better at receiver this year, though? I think there's just too many unknowns. I mean, yeah. I think everybody can be hopeful. And, and that's all eyes. I mean, Oregon State had three freshmen come in. Is that right? We have Taz Reddix, Montrell Hatton. Four, but three are on campus. Three now. on campus. Yeah, Zach. Zachary Card is on Zachary campus. Um, Tastine Reddix and Montrell Hatton are all on campus right now. Um, give you that bigger body. Um, you know, I that is going to be something I'm watching. I Silas Bolden, I think, is you know, is he poised to take the next step? I I think what we saw from him in the Vegas Bowl was not that he didn't have a good season, but what I saw from him in the Vegas Bowl was just like kind of another level. And so, can he continue that? Can he be consistent in that? Um, Anthony Gould, another one. I Oregon State, what they've been missing, though, is really that bigger body possession receiver. Can a Taz Reddick be that guy? That's the question. Or uh, I mean, Jermaine Terry. Jermaine Terry, too. Right. And and especially if, if Velling's good to go in the fall, I think in the spring you'll probably see Terry yeah. just kind of exclusively at tight end. But it would be interesting to see, you know, following the, the Kyle Pitts, the Drake London yeah. um, kind of bigger bodied receiver path that that seems to be a kind of a trend right now like maybe Jermaine Terry's that guy but um, at at least in the spring I think you see more of the freshmen come in and and get some opportunities right away just because if you read into what Jonathan Smith said on signing day I mean he said right away he doesn't like he doesn't go out and guarantee opportunities but he said that he he thinks at least two of these receivers will play this fall um Going back just a couple of years ago, we've already seen this. I mean, Zariah Beeson came in as a true freshman and was one of the best receivers on the team that year. Um, we know that like Oregon State will play freshman receivers if they're ready to go. And I think it is one of the positions where you can kind of step in as a freshman a, a little bit easier at, at receiver than than maybe a linebacker or a, a lineman or a tight end. Um but receiver is one of those positions where young guys can pop. And I think the fact that Smith was ready to say that. Uh, before these guys even made it to campus, like I, I do think we see a couple of these guys, um, you know, maybe not shine, but but definitely look like they're ready to play. In and John Dunborn's another one. You know, I want to see him. I mean, again, I thought toward the end of the season he started to kind of flash, and so it's just consistency now. Can these guys take that next step? Be consistent, and I, I do think with the running game and with the addition of DJ or Aiden Childs, but DJ that that brings in a whole other element to the, to the offense in that the quarterback can run. And so that's going to keep offenses a little more off balance than having more of a statue type quarterback. Having that, I think just helps the whole, the whole offense and maybe helps open up the passing game a little bit. Yeah. Silas Bolden, Anthony Gould, I think um, you, you probably expect them to, to be pretty big playmakers, but outside of that, uh, again, that's where the question marks come from. Can John Moore take the, or can John Dunmore take the next step? I, I, I feel like we both think he can. He just has to prove it. Yeah. Um, and then the freshman, what do you get out of them? And like I said, uh, Silas too. I, I, I felt like we saw glimmers from him, but I, I really felt toward the end. And then, like I said, really in the Vegas Bowl, he really flashed. Yeah. Now, can he do this consistently? I, I saw someone in the lodge say, you know, we saw it almost like Brandon Cooks esque some of the things he was doing in the Vegas Bowl. But what Brandon Cooks had that made Brandon cooks, Brandon cooks was the fact that he was consistent and you just knew it was money. Anytime the ball was to him. Um, that's what we need to see now from, from these veterans like Silas and, and Anthony Gould. 
and they both wore number seven. So that obviously means that yes. Silas Bolden will be the next Brandon Cook. <laughs> of course. Of course, Carter. Yeah. To the defensive side of the yes. ball now, a, a group that loses six starters and, uh, you know, a lot of movement on the side, particularly on the back end. Uh, but at linebacker two, it's interesting, Angie, that we talk about the defensive line being like one of the more known commodities yeah. of this team. But that's the case this year. Not saying that it's going to be one of the best position groups, because even last year when they took the step forward and run defense, it was still very clear that there was work that needed to be done on the D line. This will be a position that probably outside of, um, you know, the, the 2010 to 2013 range has, has always been kind of a weakness at Oregon state probably will continue to be. It's very hard to recruit to, but when you get guys like Sione Lolohea and James Rawls to come back uh, as multi-year starters, as guys who made a pretty Who's big impact last year, um, I, I think that's reason to be excited a little bit about this group, not only in run defense, but I think they could take a step forward in, in the pass rush and, and maybe help you out in an area that you kind of struggled in last year. Yeah. I think, I think that is going to be my big, what I'm watching, especially early in fall um, is just kind of how that D line kind of comes together, but really watching those outside linebackers, seeing what the newcomers can do a, a Kelsey Howard or um, Melvin Jordan, even in the middle linebacker position, just to see what some of these younger guys that have been in the system I do think to take the next step, Oregon State has to get that pass rush a little stronger. Um, but I think the biggest question mark is laying right there in the in the back end in the secondary because there's just so many departures of guys that had just veteran guys. I mean, you lose Jaden Grant, you lose Alex Austin, two guys that seriously had what four, five, six years between the or you know each. So um, that's hard. That's hard to replace. Uh, Rajon Wright, one of the you know Beavers' top corners. So. Although I'm excited to see Jaden Robinson because I think he really took a huge step when he got in this past year. Um, the, there's, they're lucky that Katana Ladapo came back because that gives them that veteran leadership. But um, that is going to be the big, the big ticket. And I still think Oregon State needs to look to the portal for, for a, another guy or two um, to kind of help fill in the gaps heading into fall camp. But spring's going to be a time for the young guys. And uh, that to me is the, the biggest question. What's your concern level, if if you have one, I guess, uh, with, with the defense and its ability or inability to replace those starters? Like, how much confidence do you have that your your group of newcomers returning backups and a defensive coordinator that looks like he's probably one of the best in the Pac-12, but again, that's only one season. Like, Do you have any concerns that that might not work out? and that you might see the defense take a step backward from I, I do have a, a group that was one of the best in the Pac-12 last year. I do, though, Carter, because I, I've been around this game and, the, and covering Oregon State for a long time, and um, cornerbacks seem to take a year or two in Oregon State system, whether that was under Coach Riley, whether that was under Coach um, Coach Smith. It's, it seemed, they take, seem to take a year to kind of get their feet under them. I mean, we saw that with Rajon. We saw it with Nashon. Um Alex Austin. Um, yeah. So um, we see those freshmen take their lumps. So it could be, you know, it, it'd be fantastic if they could go to the portal and get a guy that, you know, maybe has Pac-12 or, or D1 college experience. But um, I do like the fact that, you know, Coach Blue's been there. Even the young guys have played under him and practiced under him. Know, know the expectations with, with Coach Bray. Um, but I do question, you know, I mean, I can't tell you the last time a true freshman came in at corner and 
killed it. I, I mean, no, honestly, I mean, can you? No, I mean, we, we saw some flashes from Austin as a freshman, but more often than not, like he was the guy that was responsible for some of the bigger plays. He w- Yeah, he got uh, picked on all the time. But like you could see that there was some potential there. And obviously the next year he popped. Um, but I, I think the one thing that helps, and again, I, I am concerned about the secondary, not so much that the guys at the top, but I've been saying this all off season. I just don't think there's enough depth there. And, and that's yeah, why you depth. think they should go to the portal. I, I completely agree. Yeah. But with the guys that are going to step in and probably start, I think the one thing that helps is that these are not true freshmen. These are guys who have had two to three Jane Robinson, what, maybe even four now at this point yeah. off seasons or, or seasons, um, to develop and, and frankly to, to play. I mean, these guys have seen the field. So like, it's not like you're throwing somebody into the, into the fire. Skyler Thomas had a pick in like his second career game two years ago. So like, these are guys that have developed and have playing experience. I think that helps your cause. Um, but if we want to transition for, to another position, if you look at like outs- or, uh, inside linebacker where you lose both starters, Obviously, Easton Mascarenas Arnold is ready to start. He probably was last year. Probably was as a freshman, to be honest. Yeah. yeah. Um, but outside of that, like that's a position where you're going to be relying on somebody to step in right away. Otherwise, mm-hmm. like that's that might be the most important position in Oregon State's defense. Uh, it certainly was in the Tibisar era, but but even Trent Bray was was yeah. using the inside linebackers in a similar way. Um, I I don't know. I. I wouldn't say I'm concerned about this group, um, but I just think it's it's very unproven considering yeah. you're going to rely on a Mason Tufaga who didn't play it at Utah yeah. or yeah. Um, John Miller, you know, uh, John Miller, who's played sparingly yeah. on uh, he's played on special teams, but uh, defense well, Melvin Jordan, sparingly. Melvin Jordan, who yeah. hasn't played at linebacker. I mean, yeah. I, I think it's a I think it's somewhat of a concern right now. Absolutely. I, I think it is, too. So there are definitely big question marks. And that's this is where, um, you know, you hope that some of the young guys can really jump in and contribute and then hope some of the veterans can, you know, help get them up to speed too. But I agree. And I, and then, like I said, then the outside linebacker and edge rushers, who's going to step up and actually elevate that position. That's, yeah. that's another key. Uh, that was where I was going to close out the, the defense was, you know, we have all these questions about secondary yeah. inside backer. I, I think we feel pretty confident in what we know about the D line. Uh, but outside linebacker is one of those wild cards where it feels like Oregon State has the talent and it, it probably bolstered it this offseason even. But the production just hasn't been there. Are you confident that that guys like Nico Taylor, Olu Omotosho can come in right away, that guys like John McCartan can take a step up? I mean, I, I think the fact that we see Riley Sharp move to the offense is telling that the coaching staff thinks outside linebacker will be better because you wouldn't give up your your leading sacker like that if yeah. if you didn't yeah. have confidence. But I mean, do you share that? Like, did, are, I do. are you high on the group too? I, I you know, it's it's unknown. I mean, it's unproven. But um, I mean, McCartan. I think um, Brian Frankie should be back, and we've seen some you know glimmers from him. But I think Andrew Chatfield took a huge huge step toward the end of last season. Um, I think yeah. he's going to be called on and expected. I think Kelsey Howard, newcomer, again, very unknown, but um, I like his makeup. And I think he could be one of these. He's my early call before watching anything. Um, it, he's my call to be the guy that maybe is the freshman that pops and, and stands out. And he's my and that's Damian to Martinez. Yeah, no, but I think he has that makeup to do it. I think he has the the mindset the swagger. Um, I think he's got it. I think he can handle the pressure. 
I think he's ready for that role. So I'm anxious to see, you know, how he handles now going up against, you know, Pac-12 O-linemen um, and not just high school. But I, I think he is one of those guys that may kind of take that. But I think Chatfield is, is prepped. I think, yeah, McCartan. I, I ran across some pictures of McCartan when he came for the spring game back when he was a high school senior. And that yep. kid has totally transformed himself. It's it's crazy to see. But, um, yeah, that's what happens when I get bored and start looking through photos. We'll close this out with the special teams. And it's a group that, uh, Angie, I don't expect to learn a whole lot from yeah. this spring. I mean, uh, oftentimes, you know, they run through a decent amount of special teams periods. Like they spend probably 15 to 20 minutes on special teams per day. But the amount that we can actually learn from it is so small that, like, it's a good thing we already know that Anthony Gould and Sightless Bolden are two of the best <laughs> returners in the country because that's something that we can run with all offseason because. I mean, last year we were watching five, six, seven guys rotate through and we didn't even know who was going to get the job. Like that's just how hard it is to to gain anything on special teams. Yeah. Another element of that too is, of course, the kicking situation is is of, of supreme intrigue to a lot of fans and, and to us certainly yeah. this offseason with, with Oregon State struggling so much uh, in field goals outside of 30 yards last year it is so hard to to translate what you see in practice to, to to cam day because i mean angie you've watched Everett Hayes kick for what 3 years now like yeah. you've seen what i've seen he's lights out in practice i mean he will yeah. nail 90% of his field goals but obviously that didn't translate to to game day last year um so i i think we'll know more about the kicking situation if hayes and sappington struggle this spring like i think that's telling of okay you've got like you should be concerned about kicking because yeah. it's not getting better in practice. But if they do look better in practice, like we can't guarantee that's going to translate. Yeah. I mean, it's kicking is such a weird, um, and I always say it's kind of um, similar to you know, like almost like baseball hitting and golf because it's, it's such a mental thing um, that I think sometimes these guys get in their own heads. They just need to, you know, it's the confidence it's so, yeah. I mean, it's going to be telling to see how these guys react now this off season, um, and then just getting it down and, and getting the, men the mental side of it right. Because we know they can kick. We know they right. can hit field goals. It's that mental aspect of, of you know, being able to do yeah. it. I mean, Everett Hayes made a 60-yarder yeah. in a game to send a game to overtime. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's like he has it in him. It's, yeah. Yeah, it's, just, um, it's a mental thing. It's, a, it's the, they get in their own head sometimes. Sometimes they overthink. Yeah. Let's end with this, Angie. How excited are you to see Josh Green finally? Oh, so excited for him. At Hunter. Yeah. So excited. Just, I mean, talk about a kid who has really, I mean, A, far from home, you know, coming from, you know, Australia, New Zealand. Uh, Australia. Australia. Um, but just, you know, he he's bided his time. Great teammate. I'm excited to see him get his chance. Uh, if you haven't read up on Josh Green, uh, I'm Carter sure you can still Google th this feature that that I wrote uh, in the, one of the bye weeks, not this past season, but the, but the year prior, after he came in from uh, Laney College down in, in Oakland, one of the many uh, to come from that pipeline. Uh, obviously, he was um, you know part of that group that uh, was there around the last chance you era but uh, i don't i don't think he was featured in fact he might have been at oregon state um a year a year too early to be there on that but um 
if you can go check out, I'll, I'll try to, to find the link and, and maybe post this in the lodge at some point this spring to, to go find that story on Josh Green. His story, I mean, it, to think that he's coming to the U.S. to play basketball and then just randomly picks up a football and, you know, only having watched, you know, Aussie rules football just starts kicking it. Cause obviously that's what you do in Australia. Um, turns out he's a pretty good punter and, and got some looks uh, actually, I, I believe committed to Fresno state at yes. one point yes, he was uh, before Fresno he came to state. Oregon state. So um, yeah, it's, it's a fun story. Again, I'll, I'll maybe put that in the lodge at some point this spring um, just to remind everybody. He's an awesome personality too, yeah. from, from what I've gained. We yeah. have so many photos of him from the two bowl weeks of, you know, I think he was hanging out with Shrek at Universal Studios and we had him eating a donut last year. So we know that the personality is there. I'm hopeful that maybe we get a chance to, to interview him this offseason. Um, that's going to wrap it up for our spring camp preview. That was a good 45 minutes that we spent there. Um, I have another page of notes that we didn't, I know. didn't get to, but that's a good thing yes. because all of that that we didn't get to is included in two articles that will go live on the site on Tuesday and Wednesday, I've got uh, three predictions, one for the offense, defense, and special teams that'll run on Wednesday. Uh, but tomorrow and Tuesday, I outlined three main things that we're watching for in camp this offseason. So uh, keep an eye out for those. Probably hear some of what we talked about, but uh, there's a little bit in there that we didn't necessarily touch on a whole lot. Okay, Angie, we have time to close out the show okay. with Name That Beave. I'll cue the music. It is my turn to disappoint myself in my I got my pen ready to Oregon keep State football student athletes. Keep track. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna pull up here because I need to make sure. All right. I... In the meantime, I'll, I'll remind everybody what happened last week. So, uh, Angie took round one uh, over the first two weeks of this game. She beat me 11 to 12 in uh, the, the first kind of the first two week segment. She leads the series one nothing, and she took 11 guesses to guess Sammy Strotter last week uh, in our, our third edition of Name That Beef. So I have to beat 11. I'm looking to become the first person to guess it in 10 or fewer. Are, are you going to turn off your comments in case? Yeah, our, our yeah I'm, not, I'm not looking at the chat. Okay, okay. I'm, I'm not cheating here. Okay. okay. I, I think everybody knows the rules by now, so let's just get going. Let's go. Uh, Angie, was this student athlete uh, on the team in the last 10 years? No. Okay. Uh, was this an offensive player? No. Were they a linebacker? Yes. Okay, I have an idea. I'm just going to go right now. Was it Trent Bray? <laughs> yes! Yeah! <laughs> nice! I thought I might like, psych you out a little bit. Like... Damn. Four. That's it. That's it. I win. That, that's, the game's over now. Like Four guesses. Four guesses. Oh, too easy. That was too easy. I, I, I went back and forth at a couple guys in my head, and then I'm like, well, he won't even think to go Trent Bray because he'll think that's just too easy. See? Nope. I'm, I get I'm, my I'm own glad head you went too, there. See? No, that, that's okay. I, actually, the, that's kind of a good one because, you know, obviously with him being a coach, like maybe you, you – don't maybe you exclude that from your thought process, but um, no, okay. I, that was, that I, was thought, I thought it might be too obvious that you would just go over it like, no, she will not go that easy. Well, I, I even thought about it. I was going to say, uh, maybe I shouldn't guess somebody this early, but nah, like if we're talking linebackers, 
in the 2000 to 2010 range, like Trent Bray's like right up there with the best of them. So, yeah. Well, he, my favorite was Nick Barnett and Richard Sigler, but I actually thought that might be too far back for you, youngin. Is Keaton Christick a safety or a linebacker? Linebacker. Okay, he probably he probably would. Yeah, he probably would have been my next guess. Okay. Sorry, Eric F says pretty damn easy. <laughs> yes, I like I said, I'm trying. You know, Carter's a youngin. He doesn't quite have. Well, I'm old though, so. Hey, know. I just threw Keaton Christick out there though. I know. Look at that. Okay. Next, oh, next time it's on, dude, I'm going oh, hard. I'm going obscure, oh, like backup. See, I, I think what happened is you got complacent because you had the lead. Well, yeah. I, like I said, I, I thought it might be so obvious that you'd overlook it is what I thought. Cause yeah. I thought you'd over, I thought you would overthink it. So I thought I was going to like double, you know, like double back on you here and like, Oh, he'll overthink it and he won't no. go Trent Bray. No, you can't fool me. Andrew. Oh gosh, I darn it! Set a okay. new record. Four guesses is is. Yeah, the I don't new think I'm ever going to beat that one because I mean, yeah, yeah. Good luck. Um, the series. Why did is you go? Tied. Why did you go linebacker? I don't know, because because you went defensive lineman last week, so I was figuring maybe you, you wouldn't go with two linemen in a row and secondary. Like, there's just too many guys there. So, if it was a linebacker, I knew there were only a couple of places I could go with that. Oh, I don't so want to give you. I, I don't want to give you my my secrets here. Okay. So. Oh, oh, I got the next one. Oh, I got the next one. So, so good. You're never gonna get it. Okay. Stay tuned. Uh, Stay two weeks tuned from to now. Andrew Carter's adventures here. I, I like this. It's a fun way to close the show. All right. Series is tied one one. Uh, I, I take this round eleven to four. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, Sorry, Lord. Andy. Oh Lord. All right. Spring camp starts a week from now. Uh, well, a, a week from tomorrow, I guess, as we record this. Angie's going to have full coverage of week one. I've got another basketball game and a couple of baseball games in me before I head out of town. Uh, but then I will be back for week two of camp, and we'll have another episode uh, on the podcast side, at least, talking spring camp um, as soon as I get back. So we'll recap spring camp week one then, but we are going to take next week off. Um, Angie, just a, a quick reminder to to you and to everyone else that's listening, 30% off your first year at beaverblitz.com. Take advantage while you can. Spring camp, again, is a big time for VIP content. So make sure to do that uh, as long as that is available. And uh, Angie, let's do it again in two weeks. Let's do it. Right? Go have fun in Paris. All right. Well, until then, you can follow her at Angie Machado. One, you can follow me at Carter Baines. And we will talk to you in two weeks for another episode of The Damn Podcast. The hit Paramount Plus original docuseries returns. The last time I saw Max, he looked at us laughing, and then everything changed in a blink of an eye. My feeling as a detective is that he was murdered. Yahoo Entertainment calls it a spine-chilling docuseries, showcasing real-life tragedies. What if it was your child who went missing? We need to know the truth. Never seen again. Now streaming on Paramount+.